Blog Talk Radio. Because Linda King returns, and uh, boy, Linda, you, are you on? I sure got you. We made a connect. You've been traveling not only around the world; you've been traveling this week. I have. Yep, I'm in uh, Denver uh, this week. All right. I was a little confused because you messaged me a little bit that you were home, so it kind of threw me off a little bit. So, home in Denver is where? Yeah, I'm actually in uh, Aurora, Colorado. Aurora, okay, which is, uh, and what's the bearing on Denver, west, north, south? Yeah, it's actually just uh, in the northeast, uh, pretty close to the airport, maybe 25 minutes. Oh, okay, not bad. Uh, how, how are things out there after the flooding? What's the effect? What happens once in a while we get a little, there we, there we go, a little technical problem. So um, the after effects of the flood, are you seeing that? You know, the only thing that um, that I noticed when I was flying in was the fact that there was just, I mean, a lot of uh, standing water. Um, I didn't see any, you know, damage because I haven't gone up in the northern region up by uh, Boulder. Um, right. So, and it actually snowed yesterday here in Denver, which is always fun to see the first snow. Oh, so those were the shots of the snow. I, exactly. I was confused. I thought that was uh, home in Nebraska, so I was... Uh, a little uh, off on that one as well. Yeah, it does get beautiful. My ba- daughter lives in Boulder, actually, and right now she's in San Diego, but she was giving me day-by-day accounts of the uh, flooding. So pretty wild out there. So uh, so what's uh, we, I'm all excited today because we had to leave off. Uh, I think when we left off, we were in Russia on our way to what was the next trip we wanted to cover? Yeah, so I think um, just to... Update the listeners. So we talked a little bit about uh, my first uh, spiritual pilgrimage to Russia, and then what I wanted to continue today is is touching on the next adventure that was in China. Okay. Oh, all right. Grace. So. So. so it was, yeah. Well, uh, how how did uh, well how long of a, a, a space between Russia and China, and how did that all develop? I mean, did you now that you whetted a, an appetite for travel, did you start looking, or did? It happened like the first one, kind of just drifted your way. Yeah, it was actually um, part of the same group that we went to Russia with. So, you know, once I'd answered the uh, the call to Russia, then the group uh, two years later uh, took a pilgrimage to China, really with the same intention um, to understand, you know, what could we learn about the Chinese spirit. Um, and again, given um, you know, thoughts around religion and spirituality, you know, in the Chinese culture, quite different from what we learned in Russia. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, it was, the same, it was a group of about, um, you know, 30 people, and we were there um, for two weeks. 
started in Shanghai and then took a train to Hangzhou and then flew to the Beijing to see the Great Wall. Oh, so it was uh, mostly city, major cities, or were you in the countryside? Yeah, so the we started in Shanghai, which, of course, is the largest city um, in China, and then we moved, we took the train to a town called Hangzhou, which, you know, is more like a million. So kind of, you know, I'm, I'm you know, based in Omaha, so kind of an Omaha-sized town. So we could get a sense of how things uh, were, you know, more in the countryside. And we took day trips to see, you know, different shrines, you know, within the region. And then our last uh, stop was in Beijing, and we actually stayed in a tiny village uh, up by the Great Wall. And, and that was, you know, just so very interesting because in this village, we were right outside, um, and we did get a chance to go to the village. They most of the people had never seen Americans. So wow. again, it was it was really interesting to start, you know, in Shanghai, you know, and you know, in a tiny village, in a very remote part. So now, when you talk about shrines, it's a, you know, it's almost a uh, juxtaposition that we're dealing with a, a communist country. <laughs> I mean, all of China is kind of a juxtaposition: communist country practicing capitalism. And yet, still there are shrines. So, I mean, so obviously, when with all the cultural revolution, Mao's all of Mao's reign, they didn't destroy all of that stuff. Well, you know, it was interesting because the first um, event that we had in Shanghai is, is we had a two-day conference where there was about 75 uh, people gathered from various uh, multinational companies, along with you know our group, um, and then they had folks from. Other regions, we had some folks from Australia, and we basically sat for the two days and had conversations, learning more and more about, you know, all that had happened. Um, and at our table, what was interesting is we had, you know, folks that were, you know, in, you know, three different age groups, someone that just had graduated from college, someone that was in the, you know, in their 30s, someone that was in their 40s, and someone that were, was in their 50s. And what was interesting is each one of those people could describe you know, their generation in a completely different way. So oh my the God, rate I can of imagine. change, right? And so, so it was it was great to be able to pose a question and then you know hear the conversation of of what it felt like. So, for instance, the uh, young man that was just out of college, you know, had such an interesting perspective to share with us, given the fact that, you know, he had just recently come from university, a very bright young man. And one of the things he shared with us is the fact that it wasn't until he was out of college and had started his work life that he realized that although he studied very hard, he never learned how to think for himself. And, uh-huh. and that was something that he was, he was quite sad about. Um, so and then, you know, the, the gentleman that was in his 30s, you know, was a very successful business uh, person, and so life, you know, was pretty good, you know, in the time that he'd grown up. But one of the things that we, we got into, you know, understanding um, from a political system, and it was interesting because we had different political views, and we had someone from a Russia group that was at our table, and, and it was the first time that I realized listening to the woman from Russia talk about how, 
you know, her government deceived them and they issued, you know, vodka just to help them cope with what was happening. And But they knew that they weren't being told the truth. And then, you know, the, the different uh, conversations about the Chinese government, and again, the people actually did know that they really weren't getting the truth. And and what surprised me was, is, you know, sitting at that table, realizing at that moment that, you know, I believed growing up in a democratic system <laughs> that I did know the truth, right? And, yeah. and so I, I just kind of sat at the table, and I wasn't sure, you know, I, I, I thought that our history books, you know, told us the truth, only to realize <laughs> that our history books, you know, paint the picture based on, you know, where you're, where you're based. So, Again, it was quite surprising uh, to realize that. <laughs> wow, this is uh, to me a fascinating, uh, fascinating conversation because uh, you're not only—I mean, everything that you've said from day one was that the truth. Um, you know, the concept of of Linda King as a Midwestern girl growing up, um, you know, with the traditional values, the American values, and, and all of a sudden you're swept up in this, you know, d- d- not drive to go to uh, Russia and be exposed to something diametrically opposed to, you know, the belief system and the mores and, and the operating systems of what you grew up with. And now you're on, you know, the, on the other side of the world, not too, too distant from Russia, and now you're getting a t- total, totally different thing. But it always seems to be that the common denominator is that the truth is seeking you. Exactly. And one of the most powerful conversations that we had um, during that co- that um, gathering was from um, a young man that had just come from college. And, you know, we had talked about different um, experiences. And, you know, 9-11 had happened, you know, just the year before. And... You know, they were quite surprised because the Americans at the table, you know, weren't supportive of our government. And they're like, wait a second, but you get to vote for them. And we said, yeah, but we don't always, I mean, not everybody gets the one that wins, right? And so right. we got to talking about that circumstance. And young man, uh, as we began to talk about where we were and, you know, what happened during that, you know, that time in the country, young man, you know, actually tears you know, started to fall. And in the conversation... Now, this was a Chinese kid or American? Yeah. No, this is the Chinese young man. And, you know, what he shared with us, because he was in college at the time, and what he shared with us, and and this really speaks to the the climate of this meeting that we were in, and we'd spent, you know, now a day, day and a half with these folks. So we were now, you know, speaking very openly and honestly. And he said... You know, I, I have to share that, you know, I was, you know, in college, in the dorm, you know, with other Chinese students, and the Chinese students actually cheered when they saw mm-hmm. the towers come down. Right. And, you know, it was just a moment of truth that, you know, those students, you know, the age of my children, you know, were being taught, just like when I was a kid, I was being taught that the Russians were the enemy, right? Right. And still today, those students are being taught, you know, that the Americans are the enemy, you know, and that, you know, that it's it's a good thing that, you know, Americans, you know, are being, you know, treated that way. And, and so it was, it was, you know, a really profound moment to just 
sit at that table and we all, you know, had tears about that reality. Uh, and so just the fact that we were all sitting at that table and being able to share, you know, that perspective was was amazing to me. Sure, absolutely. Again, you know, talk about a paradigm shift. I mean, you're just totally out of your element and culture, you know, a cultural shift. Um, amazing experience. I mean, talk about jolt. I mean, just being plucked out of what's comfortable into this, you know, this other plane. Well, and, and what, what's been great with these different um, experiences that I've had, I was able to go back to visit Shanghai twice um, since my first visit. And, and both times, this young man, he kind of uh, adopted me as maybe his, you know, older aunt or maybe, you know, much older big sister. And he would pick me up at the airport and introduce me to his now wife, uh, on the first trip, and we had dinner, took me to their home um, with their parents. Um, and then the, set, the last visit I was on, they had now been able to buy, you know, their own place to live. And so he was so proud to take me to that uh, place where they were building, you know, a family and a home. And then he also, like, took a day off to take me touring. And so, again, it was so interesting that, you know, because I happened to be kind of in the area, I was in Asia, so I thought, well, I better stop in, you know, and you know, visit my friends in China, and and to be, you know, taken care of and thought of and welcomed, you know, in that way, um, you know, was just again, you know, I'm not sure of all the business people that I've met in in a lot of settings, you know, that they would have gone to that length um, to to help me understand more and more about the Chinese culture. So the idea was, you know, we could basically ask anything. You know, he could ask me about the American culture. I could ask him about the Chinese culture. And we've just continued um, this dialogue, you know, ever since we met, you know, that day at that conference. You know, and it's, it's to me it's like, uh, you know, the old, uh, in, whether it's a Zen or just an Asian uh, perspective about the you know one flap of a butterfly's wings creating a hurricane or that ripple in the pond you know the way that it reaches to the other side so you know here's this um, in spite of the cultural differences and the the background and the fact that the indoctrination uh, you know two individuals reach out and now you're sharing the story here with me and whomever is fortunate enough to tune into this gets to hear it because as far as I'm concerned right now, I mean, I'm just being, you know, totally enlightened on, the, on you know, that. And we're actually inside, as far as I'm concerned right now, we're actually inside China and inside that meeting. So that's uh, pretty amazing that, you know, for the times, in spite of all the other things that are going on, you know, these occurrences can happen. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. And one of the other things that happened um and again, you know, being on a spiritual pilgrimage halfway around the world, you know, in, in a very, very large um, expanse, you know, people everywhere, you know, not having a clue where I was. Um, we had, as I mentioned, we took uh, a plane um, from Hangzhou to Beijing to, you know, visit the Great Wall. But before we went up onto the Great Wall, we stopped at the Forbidden City. And what was particularly interesting um, that day was we get to the airport and we have delays and 
we don't know at all about why there's delays or when we're going to take off because that's just the way things go in China. So we were playing cards, just having fun at the airport because there's really nothing else that you can do. So pretty soon, you know, we take off. You know, we land in Beijing. Uh, typical American tourist. We had too much luggage that didn't fit in the tour bus, so we had some delays there. You know, then we end up, you know, in rush hour traffic in Beijing. Now, you know, we have to remember, you know, at the time, you know, Beijing, we're talking maybe like 11 million people. So we're now concerned because we're heading to the Forbidden City, it's rush hour traffic, and we're going to arrive hopefully in time to actually, you know, get into the site. And if we hadn't, we wouldn't have been able to to actually participate in in that event. So we, we actually get there. They say we've got five minutes, you know, run to the gate. So we all, you know, jump off the bus, run as fast as we can. We get in the gate, and we have an hour to experience the Forbidden City. Now, I hadn't done a lot of reading about the Forbidden City at the time, um, but it was basically built, you know, around the you know 1400s, and, and it's pretty much where the emperors lived their entire life, I and mean, they didn't even leave the campus. And to get a sense of what the scope of the Forbidden City, it's, it's almost 150 acres um, and they, they talk about the myth is that there's 9,999 rooms and actually there's maybe only 8,700 rooms. But, again, the idea was, you know, here we are, we've got an hour, we, we need to <laughs> absorb everything we can, you know, in this adventure because we only have an hour. So I become a really, instead of a good spiritual pilgrim, I become a really great tourist and I am <laughs> racing through every building that I could, taking pictures, and there's tourists everywhere, and and by gosh, I'm going to see everything I can see. And as I am walking up to one of the buildings, not really paying attention, there were two gentlemen walking down the stairs, arm in arm. One was an older gentleman, and one was about my age. And the older gentleman actually stopped me on the stairs and said, you know, do you know this man? (laughs) And, you know, for a moment, I'm thinking, okay, I'm in China. Um, <laughs> and I looked at the, the gentleman, and I said, well, I don't think so. And then I looked again, and I realized that it was a coworker that worked at my former company from Omaha, Nebraska, that was crossing my path at the exact moment in the Forbidden City of China. Get the so, heck out of here. So, <laughs> That's crazy. It, it is really crazy. And and what we learned later about the delay um, in the, the air experience is the fact that it was the first manned space flight that was happening in China. And so they closed the entire China airspace in order to allow, you know, that space flight to take off. So, again, the timing of how long the airspace was closed and how many – Oh, yeah, they would never be able to calculate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so you figure, you know, 11 million people in Beijing, and we, you know, from a time perspective, what are the chances that I would cross paths as I'm racing through, literally racing through? Crazy. Crazy. I, I just stood there, you know, for a moment, and, of course, we snapped a photo. And, you know, I realized 
that was my miracle for that day. I mean, and, you know, to this day, I mean, I have that photo up because I, I still really can't quite conceive how that all could have taken place the way it did. Incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. It's, you know, it's that what we talked about a little bit, you know, ago, the fact that there's all, lately I just find myself on this, this um, model that where once we've been exposed to this side of life, this spiritual side, these these places where, you know, I don't care who the skeptics are, and I don't care anymore either. But um, y- you know, please, if if you don't think that there's a spiritual aspect to life, please, would you tell me in your model, you know, the materialistic, um, you know, temporal, um, scientific cause and effect. Um, way of looking at life how did that happen you know because you can't even come close to you know trying to figure something like that out yeah it was it was actually just amazing and so this is one of those elements of when i'm really far you know outside my comfort zone and you know at times you know a little bit uneasy about the fact you know for instance in china i mean i don't obviously speak the language and you know, I don't know where I am, and you know there you know is an element that you know isn't necessarily friendly to Americans. So, but then when this miracle happens, um, you know I know that it's it's all going to be fine. You know I am being you know watched over, and <laughs> you know there's nothing that I need to worry about. And I had the same. No. Who was the man, if I can ask, who was the man with the man? Was he Chinese or was he American? Yeah, he was, he, no, he was a Chinese guy. So, so the, oh, my uh, God. My so a Chinese guy comes up, stops on the stairs as you're going up. This guy's coming down and, and asks this question. Exactly. Yeah. So he, the, my coworker had hired, you know, he had taken a day off work. He was on a, a you know, work project. And they'd taken the day off work to do some sightseeing. And so, yeah, I mean, it just. It was just an amazing experience. And I had a similar, again, unbelievable situation <laughs> that happened when I was visiting again. So I, as I mentioned, I, I was in the area, so I was in Sing- Singapore and wanted to step over to Shanghai, so I made arrangements. And I get on the plane, and, and this is my first trip to Shanghai by myself, so I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive. And I get to, you know, sit down on the, on the airplane, the Singapore Air, and, of course, that's a wonderful way to travel. And a gentleman, you know, American, you know, is walking down the aisle, and he's kind of waiting, you know, right in front of me because someone's in his seat. And he had a T-shirt on that said Washburn Volleyball. And I said to him, I said, hey, I said, you know, I know someone that, plays volleyball at Washburn, and he kind of looked at me. Again, we're we're now in Singapore, and he says, I mean, like Topeka, Kansas? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact. And he's like, well, my daughter, you know, plays there, and, you know, who do you know? And I said, well, um, I mentioned the, the young woman's name, and, and he started to speak about the young woman and how he knew her and the fact that, you know, her boyfriend, who happened to be a hockey player, um, and, you know, told this story, well, that hockey player happened to live at my house. <laughs> and 
So it was, again, one of those experiences that says I'm halfway around the world. I've just crossed paths with someone that, you know, knows the hockey player that's living in my home. And, again, it just – and all the, you know, concerns that I might have had or apprehensions just fell away because I'm like, okay, all right, just, you know, just put another person on my path that just reminded me that, yep, everything's going to be just fine, Linda. Exactly. I mean, this is what I find so comforting about our conversations here in these programs is that when you see something like this happen, or feel something like that, I mean, you're totally out of your element. You're run culturally, um, geographically, physically, um, you know, psychologically, emotionally, everything. You're out in this in the in the unknown, and then there's these things that bring you immediately back to your own frame of reference, your own, you know, your point. I mean, you're, I mean, you. I can't. <laughs> You're connected with the guy whose kid lived in, who knew a kid who lived in your house. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was just. Uh, again, what are the chances that he would have happened to have a seat no, in a lockdown? No, had can't. His, I mean, right. So, so again, just another uh, experience that just confirmed that it doesn't matter where I am in the world, you know, I'll be taken care of. Yeah, and, and and to me, the same message is coming out. I mean, if if things like this can happen, what is there to worry about? Exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, it was, it was one of those, um, you know, and as we've talked in previous shows, you know, when these invitations come, you know, the the honest question is, is what can I say yes to, right? And so, you know, quite often it's it's easy to say no to an opportunity and and one of the other ones that I wanted to uh speak of is and and we talked in the earlier show about the fact that I had worked for a company for 21 years the job went away right. picked up another job and you know 90 days later that job goes away so I'm on Facebook and I'm talking to a good friend and, you know, sharing with her about the job. And she basically says, well, that, you know, it's unfortunate about the job, but she says for my birthday, my 50th birthday, I'm taking a group to trek in the Himalayas. Right. Right. And so you know, here's another chance where, you know, I'd right. never hiked. I'd, I'd never traveled. But And as we've talked before, the idea of, you know, do we do house payments or do we do the trek in India? And, and it was just one of those times when, you know, I basically said to myself, you know, I haven't been out in the world, you know, for a couple of years. You know, talk about taking myself outside my comfort zone. And yep. I just, another opportunity to say, yep, that's what I need to do. Right. Well, and again, all of this, I think, isn't it, you know, that whether you, you geographically move out of your comfort zone or whatever, but once you make the choice to, you know, pick up on these signals that come our way, you all of a sudden, you, you can. Doesn't matter where you are, you're out of your comfort zone. When you start recognizing that there are these, you know, magical, uh, miraculous events, your everything shifts. It does, and and one of the things that um, that I really 
am amazed at is how long, you know, we will hang on to, you know, a story that may no longer be true for us. You know, so this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is a, a good example. And, and honestly, it wasn't until, you know, my most recent adventure to Peru that I'd still been hanging on to the story that, you know, I wasn't a mountain climber. I wasn't an adventurer. And, you know, until I was in Peru and I was reflecting back on the stories of India, I still carried for four more years the story that I wasn't, you know, an adventurer. And, you know, I really, you know, on the mountain that day in Peru, I had to let that old story go because that old story was not true anymore. And I, I kind of... You know, I carried it for a while, right? And even four years after I had said yes and I had, you know, pushed through those fears, but it was interesting that that story was still with me. And so I guess one of the things that you and I have talked about is, you know, how long we carry some stories that actually are no longer true that really limit you know, our view of the next adventure or our view of the next possibility. That's that whole, you know, that letting go thing. You know, it's it's so hard for us. I mean, we just, uh, you know, you put the, um, a, a, a quotation comes to mind. I, you know, I was trained as an economist. You know, I studied economics for six years. And um, one of my heroes at the time was John Kenneth Galbraith, who was a phenomenal writer. And he said, you know, in the affluent society, he wrote, uh, it is a far, far better thing to have a firm anchor in nonsense than to embark on the dangerous seas of thought. And, uh, you know, that's ex- exactly, you know, we, you know, we hold on to these no- nonsensical concepts and ideas because, you know, we're, you know, we're comfortable Exactly. And and if we've carried it, you know, in my case, you know, I've carried it all my life. So, so, you know, it has been true up until the point, you know, that I said yes to the adventure, you know, the adventure in Russia and the adventure in China. And, and again, you know, the biggest challenge that I'd ever taken, you know, was to do the trek in the Himalayas because that was as far outside anything <laughs> that I could even ponder. Talk about the courage. I mean, now when you bring bring these experiences back and you've you've added them to you know the, to your DNA because you know there's a lot of talk about how belief you know DNA can be affected by so many other things, not heredity. And mm-hmm. you know, as your as your consciousness expands, as your experiences expand, obviously your experiences are going to have an impact on your consciousness. So you start to that DNA inside you is changing. And so you, you're becoming something other than what you were prior to the trip. Now, do you find that that, that, that you know, because not only is these conversations about letting go, they're also about confronting fear and the courage. Do you find that after these that it doesn't, you don't have to be on a mountainside going up to find that courage, that when you come back here, does it, do you still hold on to that courage when you say you're dealing with things in in work or you're dealing with family things or you're dealing with, you know, societal things? Do you find that you can draw on that that newfound courage? 
Well, and I think the um, the part that we kind of laugh at is the fact that we think, you know, that at points in our life when, let's say, we face fear and we get on the other side of that, that, you know, we've learned that lesson, right, and that, you know, it won't show up anymore. Um, and so then when it does show up, and, and sometimes, of course, it shows up in a big way, you're like, wait a second, you know, I thought we were done with that lesson. And so, right? And, and so what's what's particularly interesting about fear for me is, is, as you mentioned, I mean, the gift of fear is courage, right? So, so the fact that not only will fear show up and it will continue to show up the rest of my life, but the idea that I can be the observer, so it's going to show up and, and I'm able to recognize it. And then I can take that step to be the observer and then, then decide, you know, what to do next. So, so the idea is that, I mean, the fear, you know, I think will be with me, you know, all the time. But the idea is that it does not have the limiting impact. Right, because now you found the observer. You're able to pull back and look at it from a, <clears throat> a different, higher perspective. Right. And the other thing that, that I think, you know, is so important for me is this idea and this acceptance and belief system that says, I mean, everything happens, you know, for a reason, exactly the way it's supposed to happen. So for me to try and resist or think that I could have prevented or we shouldn't have this and that wouldn't have happened, you know, the idea that, you know, so I don't have to spend any more cycles on the, we could have prevented this if I would have done better, right? And, and I think that's huge, right? And and so that's the other the other you know belief system that I have, and I think we've shared of, of the concept of responsible, and and that's another one of those that I I carry with me is you know kind of a mom of the world idea, and the idea that responsible really means able to respond not to necessarily prevent it or fix it, but that I am able to respond to, to anything that shows up. So the courage, I think, really shows up in those moments where, you know, fear doesn't have to have a play anymore. It's, it's just, no, I, I will be able to respond. And, and not just me, but, you know, I'll invite, you know, all, all of my spirits and angels and, you know, all of the folks, you know, prayer requests and whatever I need to just hold space that I will have, you know, the energy, you know, to move through whatever the situation is in a graceful way, right? Not that it's going to go away, not that it's going to, you know, have a happy ending because some endings, you know, aren't necessarily happy, but that I will have the courage to be able to be graceful in those moments. Absolutely, you know the. Uh, in fact, I, um, you know, my take on it is that, you know, it's it's like a video game, and that the higher up you go in the game, or the longer you go in the game, the obstacles get crazier and crazier, and because you've acquired the skill set to get to that level, <laughs> and you can't just play the game at that level. I mean, what fun would the game be at that level? 
right? <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, if you, if you, that, you know, this whole model of the game, and it, it makes sense to me. This life is really a game, and it's a story at the same time, and it's a story of games, and it's all about the game. I mean, and it's all about winning and losing, and it's, and you know, there's a great quote from um, the Rudyard Kipling. I memorized "If" by Rudyard Kipling. It's a it's a phenomenal, and he says, um, uh, "And if I dream, if I make dream, I don't make dreams my master, and I don't make thoughts my aim." And he says, "If you can deal with a win- winning and losing, and realize they're both the same, that um, and treat those two imposters—that's how it goes—treat those two imposters as the same." Because it's just the same coin, it's the flip side of either, and both have and I know in my experience that i've it's always the losses that teach me way more than the wins. The wins are great, and you may say, "Oh, if I did this, 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 I acquired the win, but the thing that got me to the higher levels of the game were the defeats where I had to retrace and say, "Hmm, I've got a that didn't work. Let me figure another way around this, and that's part of the joy of the of the journey. So if it were, it's true. If it was, and again, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just entertaining the concept that we're the real us is this infinite being that has come to an experience something this world of limitation and challenge and and fears and all of the emotions that we feel and joy and love and the and, you know the, the excitement and the high points, the low points. I mean, that's the. I think the the purpose of all the contrasts. And if you realize it's playing this game that it invented for itself and disguised itself in an ego to forget that it is all powerful. And so the game goes on, and all of a sudden, you know, the way out is through these spiritual awakenings. When you start to say, "Hey, I can stand back and." And look at this from a different perspective, and no matter what, it's going to be okay. You know, it's like that kid playing the video game. I mean, he's in the middle of a major battle, and he's about to lose his his uh, avatar is about to be destroyed, and maybe will be destroyed. But when he pulls away from the desk and walks in to get a piece of pizza, you know, he's okay. <laughs> he's been playing a game all along, and that model helps me through so much and I and I in having this conversation I can remember the amazing fear that I went through for literally years of losing my old self which was that American ideal of you know the the self-made millionaire who now that you know I I listened to a woman (laughs) preaching about financial freedom and one of the and they, they they mask it in the veil of spirituality you know it's a spiritual book to teach you abundance and to reach financial freedom so you can be free and i'm laughing i'm going well i had financial freedom and it is nothing like the freedom that i have now with no money it is it, it took me to get to this point to sit back and go this is when you it's that old adage when you got nothing you got nothing to lose and freedom is just another word for nothing to lose. And when you finally get to that point, you realize the power of that. There's no, well, there's, nothing, there's nothing left to lose. 
Well, and I think when, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, money as as a tool or as a resource, and if you had a ton of money but you didn't have enough time and you didn't have enough joy and you didn't have enough love in your life, right, the, the money, you know, can't help that. And so trying to really start to understand, you know, your relationship with time and making sure that your life, you know, is full of those those elements, you know, that feed you, you know, whatever, you know, whatever that is. Exactly. You know, you know, when I was lucky enough to, uh, I've been talking about this movie, I don't know if I mentioned it in one of our <clears throat> correspondences back and forth, but I saw 1492, um, sorry about Columbus. It was an okay movie, but the quotes, oh my God, the quotes through it were phenomenal. And, uh, one of them was just exactly that. He says, um, and he said, a rich man is not rich. He's just busy. Riches, riches mm-hmm. don't make a man rich. Make them busy. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, my God, it's so true. You know, if if all of this wealth and all of these things and, you know, I went through that phase of my life. I mean, the phone never stopped ringing. I was always constantly engaged. And, you know, I thought that was exciting at the time. And now that I have peace and lots of time and, you know, even more time than I, I always, always grabbed that throughout my life. But now that I have that, I go, it, it goes back to that thing that, you know, c- comes from the Course of Miracles. You may not know what's good for you, but there's something inside you that does. And the plans that I had didn't happen. And when I started to, when it all the dust settled, and you know the, the it, you know the things didn't materialize, and I, my shattered dreams and the crushed hopes and all of that at the time, and I went. Then when the other stuff started to happen, this peace and this reflection and the time and and. and and nothing changed. I was still able to get up, in fact, enjoy life more deeper than previously. That's when all of a sudden it starts to click in. It's go, this is what, <laughs> this is why my, you know, my intellectual thoughts. And, and again, a quote from Columbus was, life has more imagination than our dreams ever will. And that's, been consistently an, uh, an awakening point for me is that you know I, when I saw what the bleep it was fascinating you know all these people talking about how they get up and around them and all of them talking about how they create their day and, and I said at the time my life was so magical I just looked at the, and I I thought it was a ph- phenomenal movie from the perspective of the quantum science and the and the spiritual part and I said to the individual that took me I said. I, 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 there was a time when I used to do what they did, sit down and try to imagine my day and create my day. I says, but the days that are created for me are way beyond what my imagination could ever conceive. You know, they're more blessed and miraculous. I don't know if you find the same thing. Well, I think that, that um, especially when when you're out and about in places that you've never been before, so, um, and that's where when I go on these adventures and people think it's a little bit odd because I, I really don't study the itinerary. I don't read about the places. I really don't know anything about how the day is going to unfold. I just know, you know, they tell me the night before, you know, what time do I need to show up? And if there's anything special I need to bring besides, you know, my backpack and my water and, let the day unfold 
exactly the way it's supposed to. So what helps me by doing that, you know, periodically on these adventures is bringing that same concept back into my day-to-day and realizing that, you know, not to have a jam-packed schedule that doesn't Great. Brilliant. That was that was the reason for the question. This is exactly I got my answer. Fabulous. You're right. To to use the same tools that you learned on that trek back here. Exactly. And and be open for you know that moment that somebody you know crosses my path to have a conversation, <laughs> right? And talk about you know, talk say, about discovering riches. How rich is that? Exactly, and people, you know, they say, so So, what are you going to do tonight or what are you going to do over the weekend? And, you know, I, I said, yeah, I haven't got that far. I mean, <laughs> I have no idea, right? And, you know, it, for for a lot of people that's troubling because they, they want to, you know, structured try and, else. Right. But, but that's, Linda, we got not, about. I don't know. I don't know how many. We went over time. I'm going to afraid they're going to shut us off here. You know, I laugh. We we planned so much more, but they're going to shut us off. 